This is great. This is so fun. I'm glad we have a tie score so everybody's reasonably happy, okay? Nobody's like super happy and somebody's super sad. Everybody's reasonably happy. So, And aren't you glad that the NFL did what we asked them to do and have it right at 5 o'clock? That was just like totally perfect. And uh, so anyway, if you're a visitor here tonight, we are so glad you're here. Hope you feel right at home, part of our family right off the bat. Thanks so much, you guys. You guys are my heroes to carve out halftime to study God's Word rather than watch Katy Perry. How godly are you? Whatever your team is, I'm sure they're going to win. Actually, I guess I can't promise that to both sides, but it's really, really great to have you guys here tonight and so glad that we can be together. If you're a visitor, particularly, hope you feel right at home and I would love to meet you. If you've got an extra minute or two after the service is over now, you're probably going to want to bolt right in there for the second half, but if you get a chance to introduce yourself, would really enjoy the chance for us to get better acquainted. Which, please, turn with me either to the study outline that you got uh, as you came in, or if you'd like to save paper, uh, there's behind me, you'll see how to access a smartphone or a mobile device if you want to use that to access it and uh, save paper, or uh, maybe uh, one of the ushers could run out and grab a few of these and walk them around in case nobody has them. Uh, does, does anybody need these? Anybody need these papers? Yeah, because of the Super Bowl party, we almost all do. So I tell you what, Greg's Volstead. He's the guy. He thinks of it before we even need it. So keep your hand up, and Greg will give you a study outline. Now, we've been doing this series called Sticky Faith Parenting, but really, on my copy, I X'd out parenting and put church because we want to be a sticky church passing on uh, Jesus to the next generation. Whether we have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, uh, whether or not we have those, we still, as a church, want to be a part of a sticky faith church that helps the next generation to connect with Jesus. So this applies to all of us, but particularly if you have some child in your life uh, that's special to you. Now, what I want to do in the first half of this, and then Lisa's going to do the second half, is I want to talk about the five languages of love. And this is something, it's been a long while since my wife Kimberly and I taught on this, but we will often teach on this because it applies to your friendships, your roommate, um, the people at work, uh, anybody in your life, but also to your children, grandchildren, the kids in your life as well, is to figure out what their love language is. That is, everybody can speak a little bit of all five languages of love. But one of them is your native tongue. And so you can imagine if you go to another country and you're just all irritated because they haven't learned to speak your language and you never give any attempt to learn their language, how much do you think that person is going to be connected to you or to have a sticky relationship with that person? It's just not going to happen. And the same thing with our kids. One of the keys to having a sticky faith that they want to hear our faith is if they feel loved in their particular love language. So as I do this, make it practical and think through yourself. What's your love language? What are your kids' love language? How about your spouse? How about your roommate? How about your uh, best friend? So five languages of love. Number one is words of affirmation. Now, this one is an easy one for me to talk about because this is mine. I love to uh, give words of affirmation. I love to receive words of affirmation. That is the primary way that I receive love. If you ever want to show love to me, what you do is say encouraging words. Hey, Glenn, I really appreciated that, or that meant a lot to me, or you did a good job uh, here. And so this is a natural one for me to give. But the danger for me is, is that I assume everybody has that language. And so if I'm just telling Kimberly, for example, her language is acts of service. 
And I'm like, I love you, I love you, I love you. And she's like, stop telling me you love me and just do the dishes, will you? Or get that thing fixed around the house. That's how she receives love, not just through words of affirmation. Proverbs 12, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word will cheer it up. Now, the second one is quality time. And this is one that my son Andrew has. Now, four of our six children are adopted, and we actually had to adopt outside of our gene pool to get this particular one. Because my son Andrew is the strong, silent type. And there is no strong, silent type in my DNA pool at all, okay? I am just not going to produce a son that is the uh, strong, silent type. And so Andrew, he's the strong, silent type. He's a, you know, a lieutenant in the, in the Army National Guard. He's been an airline pilot. He's an air traffic controller. You know, he's just not a big talker, which is weird in our family because it's amazing any of our kids learn to talk because Kimberly and I just talk nonstop all the time. And where are they going to pick that up? Where are they're going to get a word in edgewise. Uh, my son Andrew, he came by, he and his family, his wife and our granddaughter uh, came by on Thursday night. And I'm telling you, they'll get there and they'll just sit and just want to hang out. And I'm like, okay, uh, we need to talk. We need to say things. And for him, love is spoken by just quality time. Just being together is what makes for his feeling uh, loved and his giving love to other people. Uh, by the way, one of the things they stopped by to tell us is that we're going to have another grandchild. And so, very exciting. Uh, Kylie, uh, my granddaughter. You, you guys have time for one cute granddaughter story, don't you? Okay, she's with me. She's four years old. And we didn't know. We didn't know at all. We, had, we were suspected, but we didn't know. And so she has a, a t-shirt on that says big sister, but she's been instructed to put her sweater on over it. So she and I are playing in this little village we have. We put it up for Christmas, but the grandkids like it so much that we just keep it up. And we were just playing with the little figurines. And all of a sudden she looks at me and she leans over and whispers and she says, I have something very special on my shirt but I can't show it to you right now. And the whole time, she's just like nervously uh, fingering the button like she couldn't unbutton that quickly enough to show us that she was gonna be a big sister. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, to a talker like me, that's hard to apply. But for my son, his language of love is quality time. I've gotta learn that language. Number three is receiving gifts. Uh, Jesus said that he is his, our heavenly father. He knows the perfect gift to give. Uh, but we, we can do a reasonably good job, but he's the one that always gives good gifts. Now, our daughter, Abby, this is her love language. I mean, she just always researches it and gets just the perfect gift. For example, I love to write my sermons to movie soundtracks. I, it's just a habit I've been in, done it for years. So I'm, almost all my sermons are prepared to the soundtrack of Braveheart, Gladiator, uh, Lord of the Rings, something like that. Well, she researched what were the best movie soundtracks, and she came up with Band of Brothers. Anybody familiar with Band of Brothers? Okay. And, uh, and so, and then Man of Steel, I guess it's the more recent uh, Superman movie, and she found out those are the best movie soundtracks. So what did I get for Christmas? Those two CDs so that I have fresh movie soundtracks uh, in the background when I write my sermons. Now, Kimberly and I are very weak in the area of gift giving. We struggle, and particularly with Abby, it's always pressure because we know she feels loved if we get the right gift for her. And I'm telling you, our kids have gotten a lot of lame gifts through the years where Kimberly and I just struggle with it. We made it all up in just one gift. My 30-year-old son, John, a couple of years ago, we're big, diehard Green Bay Packer fans, and I got him 
stock in the Green Bay Packers. You know the Packers are the only team that's owned by the city. And so for a couple hundred bucks, you can own Packer stock. He's 30 years old. I thought he was going to cry. He opens it up. He starts shaking. He's like a little boy getting his bicycle on Christmas morning. He was so excited. So we have given one good gift our entire lives, and that is supposed to make up for all the other bad ones. Number four, I mentioned Kimberly Acts of Service. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then number five is physical touch. Uh, my son John is a hugger, and so he is the guy that he, he likes to hug, and he likes to be hugged. It was a funny thing. Uh, we adopted John and Andrew from an orphanage in Columbia, South America, and when we went down to adopt them, our lawyer, uh, we had a, um, a female lawyer about 35 years old, uh, maybe, maybe more like 40 years old, and she and her husband and their two teenagers, we went out to dinner with them. And after the meal was over, her 17-year-old son, okay, at the conclusion of the dinner, goes and sits in his mother's lap in the restaurant for the remainder of the meal. And these are totally hip kids. I mean, this is like the top hip family there in, in Columbia where we were. And he goes to leave to do something else. And we said to the parents, what's with that? He's a 17-year-old boy sat in your lap. And they said, oh, yeah, that's part of our culture. And I'm like, oh, dear God, help it to be passed on to our sons, you know. But John learned real fast that 17-year-old boys in America do not sit in their mother's lap in uh, restaurants. So, but he is a hugger. He is uh, an act of physical touch, just like the prodigal son father. When he saw him a long ways off, he runs and he throws his arm around him and kisses him. Now, another thing, so, so what I would encourage you to do right now, just figure out, you know, let's do a quick poll. How many of you, your primary one is words of affirmation? Let me see your hands, okay? How many quality time? Let me see your hands. How many receiving gifts? How many of you are good on that one? Okay. How about acts of service? How many on that one? And how many physical touch? Let me see your hands. Okay, about evenly distributed across those five. So the key is with your kids to have sticky faith is figure out what they are and love them in their native language. Now, Another thing I just want to talk about is why is praying together so powerful when we pray together as families? Number one, it makes us transparent. You know, one of the things we've been talking about, I think Lisa's going to talk about in a minute, is that we often don't talk about our faith with our children. Uh, but I find that something that helps me is, to, is I am more transparent in prayer. I mean, it would be a totally unusual thing to come home and say, uh, Rebecca, Noah, would you pray for me for this thing at work? I mean, I mean, I mean that would be an unusual thing. Uh, or to just say, I'm having a problem at work. But to pray about that is a more natural thing. And so it helps me to be more transparent with my kids. Is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. And so I find that I actually talk through my faith and I'm more transparent about my faith. When I pray with my kids, it's more natural to bring it up in prayer. Uh, number two, it moves God to act. There's a multiplication factor that happens when we pray. And so when we see the answers to our prayer as a family, that encourages our kids. We like to always remember to point out, hey, remember we prayed for that thing and this thing happened? Remember that? And that builds their faith when they see answer prayer. Back of your study outline, it multiplies prayer's power. Uh, let me just finish with this. How can we teach our children the importance of prayer? Number one, pray together as a family. You know what I find as a busy Southern Californian? You know the best time to pray as a family? In the car. You've got them trapped in the car. They're not going anywhere. Now, they might be on their mobile devices and their earphones and all that kind of thing. But if you can get them to pull those down for just a minute, 
I find in the cars like one of the best times to pray because they're not pulled away by all kinds of other things. They're stuck in the car, so why not spend that time in prayer? Last week, uh, Pastor Eric, and by the way, Pastor Eric's not with us tonight because he's speaking uh, to a junior high camp at Hume Lake, and so he's up speaking uh, for junior hires uh, this weekend. He'll be back with us next Sunday night. But at any rate, um, I remember Pastor Eric gave us a, a, a list of three questions we were talking about with our teenager. So my son Noah, he was trapped in the car with me, driving to Pasadena to school on Monday morning. And so we had our list from Pastor Eric, and we talked through those things uh, on the way to school. Set the example by making every matter a subject of prayer. You know, we, we'll, we drive by a car accident or something like that, and somebody says, oh, look at that. And I'll say, Rebecca, would you pray for the family that's, that's going through that right now? And so they, they learn to make prayer just like um, um, every matter a subject of prayer. Everything is an opportunity for prayer. Uh, pray with individual family members, not just all together as a family. Encourage a daily quiet time. Boy, one of the most powerful things you can do is if you can teach your kids to read the Bible and pray on their own. That is like huge, huge. Uh, I remember my daughter, Abby, and she would have a quiet time in high school, and yet she knew I'd make such a big deal out of it if I caught her doing it that she would actually put her Bible shut and hide it when I walked in the room because she knew if I saw her, I'd be like, oh, Abby, you're having a quiet time. Isn't that wonderful? And that she didn't want anything like that. So it was really funny how she had to hide the Bible from the pastor catching her. Uh, it was like in a closed country or something like that. She'd nervously slide the Bible around because dad would just make too big of a deal of it. But that is an awesome thing. And then number five, draw your family's attention to answered prayer. Remember, when you pray for something and it gets answered, remember to call their attention to that thing. That's a huge thing to build your kids' faith. So now I'm going to lead us in prayer as Pastor Lisa comes up for the uh, second half. Okay, uh, for the second half of the message. And then we're going to run out and do the second half of the game. Okay, here we go. Um, Right now, I just want to guide us through a time of prayer. Right now, I want you to think of your children, anybody that has children here. Right now, Lord, uh, we're thinking of those children. We lift them up to you in prayer. Uh, Anybody here that has grandchildren right now, let's just pray for our grandchildren and lift them up uh, to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Do you have any special nieces and nephews that you care about? Um, Right now, think of them. And and Lord, those nieces and nephews, just let their faces come up in, in your mind's eye right now. And Lord, we pray for them. How about the children of Purpose Church, the hub, the kids that just got dismissed right now? Can you think of some of their faces as they left uh, before we got into the study time? Lord, the children of our church, we lift them up to you. And now just a moment. How about the children of the community in which we are, either where we live or here in the Claremont community? Lord, right now for those children, we pray for them. Lord, we pray that we will learn to pray with each other within our families so that our kids can experience it for themselves and see the results of prayer. We pray for the children of our church and our community now. And we pray for Pastor Lisa as she shares the second part of this message. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Welcome, Pastor Lisa. Thank you, Glenn. It looks like Glenn knows how much we appreciate him. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he fantastic? We just need to give him lots of words of affirmation. So, but we really do appreciate oh, you, Glenn. I appreciate you. I 
<laughs> no, seriously, we do appreciate it. I love how practical pa- Pastor Glenn has been um, all the time, but especially in this series, it's been really fun. So, okay, since we have like a little mini halftime, I asked my friend Mike to help me up. So Mike, go ahead, stand up. We've got, um, we're talking about sticky face, so we're going to see who's got some sticky fa- fingers out there and can catch some footballs. Here we go. One, two, sticky fingers, anybody? Three. Woo! All right. Thank you, Mike. Good job. Well, so we're talking about sticky faith and how we help our faith um, stick to the next generation, um, stick to the kids in our lives. And, you know, I was thinking about um, Spider-Man because he's someone that we see that he really can stick to buildings very easily, right? And, you know, he can climb these things. It seems like a very complicated task. But I'm telling you, I think helping faith stick to kids is even a harder thing than what Spider-Man has going on out there. So I'm excited that we're spending some time exploring this and thinking about it. So we are going to talk tonight about um, some sticky faith conversations. So I want to ask you, what's the number one topic in your home that is discussed? If you would have to think about it, what's the number one thing you guys just talk about? I'm guessing if we put a microphone in your home and if you have kids or maybe even without kids, it might be logistics. I mean, just like what is going on from a day-to-day basis, right? Who's picking up the kids? Who's got soccer practice? Who's going to gymnastics? Who's going to all the different things? What's your work schedule like? When are you going to be home? Who's getting the groceries? Who's paying the bills? Logistics is something that we talk about a lot in our households. And so just for the idea of starting to think about switching the percentage of our conversation, maybe even just adding a tiny percentage of our conversation to be conversation about God and about faith, could radically change the way that we interact with those people that we live with and really interact with our kids as well. So we've talked a little bit about last week how important it is to model your faith, which is still, research says, is by far the most important thing for kids um, to get a sticky faith in their lives. But it is also important to recognize from research that kids are actually listening to what we say or what we don't say about our faith and about God. Scripture tells us in Psalm 19:14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's twofold in Scripture, not only what we're feeling and thinking in, on the inside, but what's actually coming out of our mouths. What are the words that we're actually saying? Now, I want to give you a few stats, okay? These come from the Search Institute, and they did a huge study of 11,000 teenagers from 561 congregations across six denominations, okay? So they talked to a lot of teenagers. Here's what they found out. 12% of these teenagers had a regular dialogue with their moms about faith or life issues. Only about 5% had a regular dialogue with their dads about faith or life issues. And about 9% of teenagers engaged in regular reading of the Bible and devotions with their family. So what does that mean? It means, well, we've got some work to do. We've got some avenues to explore. And for us to learn how to have these conversations, not only with our own kids, but with kids within our own church family, kids within our community, kids within our oikos. How do we have conversations that help us grow that faith to be sticky in their lives so that it sticks to them no matter when things are going well or things are going hard? So here's a couple of ideas that we can think about. When we talk about faith, we don't just interview our kids when we talk about faith. It is pretty natural, especially if we're trying to be intentional about talking about faith, about asking things like, well, what'd you learn in church today? 
Um, how was church today? Uh, what was your Bible story about today? And we just kind of give them this litany of interview questions. And if your kids are anything like mine, they learn the answers really quickly. Fine, nothing, okay, I don't know. Like, you're five. How can you say that to me? I mean, 15, yes, but a five-year-old, you know what your lesson was in church today. But those aren't the questions that necessarily connect with a good conversation about what it is to have a faith in God, because it's an interview style rather than a conversation style. So here's what we also need to do. Not only interact with them, but also share our faith. And this is something that Pastor Glenn was, was talking about. And it can be hard to do. It can be hard to talk about our own faith and what's going on inside in our, in our own lives. And maybe it's so hard because we recognize we don't have a perfect faith. And so it's hard for us to talk about it because we don't know that our faith is the kind that we need to model. But research tells us that it is really important for kids to hear, not only when our faith is strong and we believe and we're so thankful for God, but even at those times when we are going through difficulties, that when we are able to um, share about our own faith, it is a super important thing. Kids love to hear stories about their parents or their grandparents or their aunt and uncle or friends that they know about how they met or how they got married or how they moved into their house. Kids love stories. But have you made it a practice to share your faith story about how you came to know Jesus, about how you grew up going to church, or about why the Bible has been important to you? Just sharing some of those stories can really help kids and, and all of us in general as we make those part of our conversations really important to helping our faith stick. Now, when I grew up, my faith was not a perfect faith. My family was not a perfect family. My, our house was not perfect. I grew up in a household with an alcoholic father, and we learned really quickly to how to have a double life. I learned how to go to church on Sunday morning and then go to a very public high school and be a very public lifestyle. And I learned that from my, watching my parents, that we kind of had a double life. We were the kind of perfect family going to church on Sunday morning, but Gosh, Monday through Saturday was a whole different story. And so for me, part of my faith journey, part of my faith story is really talking about how it's important that we don't hold secrets from each other, that we don't live a secret life, that God wants us to honor God in all that we do, both at home and at church, at school and in the car, when we're out on the playground and when we're in the grocery store. And so that becomes a part of my faith story that I want to instill in my kids but help them understand why that's so important to me, because that's part of my faith background. Okay, here's another thing that we can think about. Not avoiding difficult subjects. This is something that Christians are really good at, and we've gotten a bad reputation for avoiding talking about difficult subjects. You know, I think about the movies that I let my kids see or the things that I let my kids watch or read, and I'm always, like, screening it, right? Is there sex? Is there violence? Is there language? Is there nudity? Is there what I would call raunch culture? What are those things that I'm exposing my kids to? And I'm really protective of that. But those are the things that are in this world. And I, as much as I want to let my kids avoid seeing that, I need to be prepared to talk about those things so that when they start thinking about those and asking questions, that it's their parents that start to feed into them uh, life-giving answers about how God is interacting with those situations, about how God has answers in the midst of those situations, how God cares about those situations. Because if I don't talk about it, where are they going to get their information from? 
their movies, from TV, from songs they listen to, from their friends, from school, right? There is a plethora of information for them to absorb. And so if I'm too scared to talk to my kids about sex, or I'm too scared to talk to my kids about violence or any of the horrible things in our world today, then they're going to sense that from me. And instead of getting information from a godly parent, they're going to go another direction. So let me just suggest something. Um, As with anything, sometimes when things are difficult, we need to practice to get better at it. And so if there's a difficult topic that you are nervous about talking about with your kids or your grandkids or really just any kid in general, if a teenager came up to you and said, well, what do you think about this? Blah, blah, blah. God's no fun because he doesn't want me to have sex. Well, what are you going to say to him? Um, I don't know. Go talk to Pastor Glenn about it. That's a good answer, too. But just in case Pastor Glenn isn't around, what is going to be your answer? What is going to be your response to that? Um, You know, even when kids are little, there's a difficult subject area um, to talk about. Right now, for me, I'm so filling my kids who are six, five, two and a half, and one with just the idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus does, and I'm just pouring Jesus into these kids. And so the whole idea of, like, talking to them about Satan and demons and ugly stuff of the world is hard for me. I'm like, I want to focus on Jesus, but I know that there's this other side that I need to talk to them about. Um, One of my favorite stories from my sister, she's got six kids, so she's like way ahead of me and she's a pro. Um, My niece is turning 15, but when she was five, I still remember my sister calling me and telling me that she uh, took all her kids, whole minivan full, to a music store. They needed to get some new um, books for one of my niece's piano lessons, and she gave her kids the lecture. Okay, we're going into a music store, everybody, and there are going to be a lot of shiny things that you want to touch, but we are not going to touch anything in the store. Everybody understand? Yes, Mommy, we understand. So there she goes in with her crew, her six kids, and uh, she gets in there, and all of a sudden Kristen, who's um, maybe, you know, the most uh, high energy of the bunch, says, Mommy, Satan's really telling me I should touch things. And my sister, without losing it, just says, Okay, Kristen, what are you going to do? Are you going to listen to Satan? And Satan screams at the top of her lugs in a very public place, No, I'm not going to listen to Satan. I'm going to listen to God. And I'm like, that's awesome. And Jessica's like, yeah, it was a nice teaching moment. But everyone in the store thought we were complete freaks, right? But you take those moments to make those teaching moments, um, even in the midst of difficult subjects in very public places. Okay, here's another one. Share your own doubts. Um, You know, often it's assumed that it's wrong or sinful for us to doubt our faith, let alone verbalize those or share those faith or share those doubts. But the research of sticky faith shows that faith is much more sticky in kids, is much more sticky, I think, in all of us when we are willing to share our doubts. Um, You know, and whatever category those are, um, I just, with my six-year-old, was reading a story about one of Jesus' miracles, turning water into wine. And she just looked at me and said, Mommy, is that really true? I said, yeah, honey, it's really true. And even at six years old, she was starting to have a little doubt, right? But it's okay to verbalize those doubts, and I want my kids to be able to verbalize those doubts, because they usually turn in as teenagers to four categories. And those categories are, does God exist? Does God really exist? Is he really real? Is there really a God out there? The next category is, does God love me? Does God see me? Does God know who I am? Does God really care? The next one is, am I living the life God wants? What does God want from me? What's my purpose in life? What am I here for? 
Am I living the life that God wants? And the fourth one, is Christianity true or is it, the only, is it really the only way to get to God? Now, these are all good questions, aren't they? They're questions that we wrestle with as adults. They're good and they're honest questions. And it's easy for us to just blame postmodern culture or, uh, you know, a skeptical universal truth perspective. But the truth is, regardless of where these questions come from, they are very real in this generation. And so we need to be ready and prepared and even excited to engage with students and people in general who come from these perspectives with questions of doubt. Okay, here's another one. Encourage individual thought. Okay, allow them to have some leeway in thinking through things and not just a rote memorization of the way it must be. It gives them the opportunity to have a little bit of flexibility and to have this kind of encouraging thought. Um, My kids are young, so we have different conversations than perhaps you do with what age students you interact with. Um, One of the spelling words my my six-year-old came home with for her first grade list was grave. G-R-A-V-E. We're practicing it. I said, Zoe, do you know what a grave is? And she said, no, mommy, I don't. I said, you know what? A grave is someplace where after we die and when we know Jesus, we go up to be with Jesus, but our body stays here on earth and they bury our bodies and they put a gravestone on it so we know where people are and people can come visit us and, you know, remember us and remember stories about us. And so my, my son, Gus, who's five, was also listening. And I said, you know, when we go up to heaven to be with Jesus, we get a new body. And Gus says, really? We get a, a new head? I said, yep, you get a new head. He said, and I get new skin? I said, yep, you get new skin. And he said, well, I want my skin to be black in heaven, and I want to eat candy canes. Said, well, okay, Gus. And Zoe said, and I'm going to eat persimmons. So there you go. A little creativity on their end about what heaven looks like. But now you know how to recognize my kids in heaven, okay? So, um, you know, encouraging that individual thought was something that was a fun and it was a faith building conversation for my kids. So, you know, the idea is that no two parents are alike, no two kids are alike, and no two families are alike. Every family talks about faith and life differently. So some of the important things to remember is to provide a space and time for quality conversations. We really need to make that space. It's not just hope that it happens. It's not to see if accidentally somebody brings up a difficult conversation that we have to answer. But it is make, create that space. It needs to almost be even scheduled into your, your, your logistical plan for the week. How are you going to engage students? How are you going to engage your spouse? How are you going to engage the people, your roommate, or people that you interact with in conversations of faith? How are you going to be intentional about doing that? Often our life gets so full with errands and making dinner and paying the bills and what's next on the calendar that it's hard to create that special focus time. Um, Maybe for us it would be a family of Tony time. How do we do that? How do we create that special time? Um, there's some great ideas out there. Um, one of them that I read about was this mom and dad that they, they interact with their kids, but they also keep a journal so that they can write down questions and answers in terms of engaging with their kids. What would your friends say they like about you? What do you wish was different about our family? What is your idea of the best day ever? What do you wish was different about school? And just by keeping track of their answers and allowing their kids to write back and forth with them created some wonderful conversations about faith and life. 
The next thing we can think about is learning to listen and ask questions, not lecture, which can be so challenging. But you know, as I start thinking about it, Jesus was so good at asking questions. Do you remember all the questions that Jesus would ask in Scripture? Let's look at a few. Do you believe I can do this in Matthew 9, 28? What do you want me to do for you? Matthew 20, 32. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Matthew 16, 13. Why do you ask me what is good? Matthew 19, 16. There's so many different questions, and Jesus used this as a very important teaching tool. And so we should never explain anything to a kid when we can ask them a question instead. So here's a, a couple of ways that you can do that. Have meaningful conversation at dinner time. Um, rather than just scarfling your food and heading over to watch TV, use that time to be intentional. Um, maybe do the highs and the lows. What was the best part of your day? What was the hardest part of your day? But then add a question. How did you see God working today? We started doing this this week, and my kids had some great answers. My daughter Zoe said, I saw God working in my heart by helping me be kind to someone who was unkind to me. Great. My five-year-old said, I saw God in my lunchbox. He's five. And then my two-and-a-half-year-old said, Pax, how did you see God working today? God took a nap, Mommy. So, you know, not deep and profound theology, but we're working to start to build this idea of having spiritual conversations with our kids. One other suggestion as our kids get older that I heard that I loved is talking about the idea of what mistake did I make today? And really interacting with each other as a family. What mistake did you make today? And this is great for a lot of reasons. It reminds us that we are not perfect and that we need God's grace daily. But it also lets kids, and I would say even adults, practice talking about our mistakes. It allows kids to do that with, our parent, with their parents. It allows spouses to do that with each other while the stakes are low, which is helpful so that it creates that environment so that when stakes are high, you can talk about the mistakes that you've made. And then it also gives family members a chance to forgive each other, to practice forgiveness, something that Jesus was passionate about and calls us to do. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So, and finally, just a couple of closing thoughts. You know, some ways to help that faith be sticky and have good conversations is to celebrate birthdays, do something special where maybe you take a, a, a kid or a spouse or a friend out for a special time where you can really be intentional about having some of those conversations. Maybe write a special letter to them that just breathes life into them and allows them a chance to feel safe, to answer, ask those questions. And I also heard about someone who, um, I think this was a praying grandma, who each year she would pick one of her grand grandkids, and she would, through her devotions, use her Bible and just write messages to her grandchild through Scripture, and then at the end of the year, give that Bible to the gift to that grandchild. Can you imagine what a treasure that would be if you received that from your parent or your grandparent or a friend or an aunt and uncle? Another great idea is create family goals together. Involve your kids in setting family goals. Involve your kids in how you spend money. Let your kids help pick out a, a child that you sponsor through Compassion International or um, World Vision or something that allows you guys to talk about having a spirit of generosity together and engage in conversation about what that's like. Now, this is just a whole lot of ideas, and some of them will work, and some of them won't work. But sticky faith is worth it, and so we just keep trying. 
Adrian Rogers said, the same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business, and his business is the business of transformation. You know, being a parent is maybe one of the hardest jobs out there. But um, in spite of the nature of the unpredictable ride that we are on as parents, it gives us the opportunity to trust in a God who is able, a God who is able by the power of the Holy Spirit to help faith stick. And that's far better than what Superman has going on, or Spider-Man has going on for him as he sticks to those buildings. So I want to encourage you, and I just want to close in a word of prayer, and we'll head back out and watch the rest of the game. All right. God, thank you for this amazing group of people and their willingness to invest in sticky faith conversations with their kids, with their families, with their loved ones, Lord. God, I pray that as a community, we would continue to boldly have these kinds of conversations that builds faith, not only in our kids, but in all of us. We love you, and we bless your holy and mighty name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.